Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. Today, we're going to be talking about joy, which in light of the events that happened earlier this morning, may stand in even greater contrast to what we actually experience in our lives. So many circumstances and events and people that seem intent in robbing us of our joy. And the the question becomes, how do you maintain your joy? How do you find a joy that endures through all these people, circumstances, events that happen in your life, in my life, that want to steal our joy away from us. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. It was in 1997 that that British yachtsman Tony Bullimore was sailing solo through the southern sea south of Australia, and all of a sudden, a huge gale force storm hits him. The waves rose to as high as five stories high. Can you imagine sailing all alone in this humongous storm? And of course, as as he was a very experienced yachtsman, he knew all the right things to do to try to preserve the boat. But despite everything he did, he hit one of those huge five-story waves, crested, and began to go down like a roller coaster the other side. And as it hit the dip, there was something in the ocean that struck the boat to this day Tony doesn't know what it was, and it flipped the boat upside down. Now, because it was a storm, Tony had already taken shelter in the cockpit of the yacht, six feet by nine feet, and when the boat flipped over, Tony found himself momentarily trapped in there, but there was a moment of temporary joy when he discovered that despite the fact that the boat had tipped over, it was not going to entirely fill up with water. There was going to be a pocket of air left for him to breathe and live in, even though the cockpit filled with a lot of water, which was at a temperature of two degrees Celsius, about 38 or 39 degrees. Can you imagine? Now that's that's now your life raft for the moment. I'm I'm talking about this story because I think it beautifully illustrates how to find joy and how we typically find joy. Because what happened is that despite this huge tragedy and seeming certain death for Tony, in the midst of all of that, he made little discoveries that gave him momentary joy. In the cockpit, for example, he found a chocolate bar. And for just a moment, he realized, I've got at least a little bit of sustenance, a little bit of food. In the cockpit, he also remembered that he had stored a filter that could take salt water and turn it into fresh water for drinking. Despite the cold, despite the the constant 
wetness and kind of that feeling of torture, at least he knew he had a little bit of water that he could drink through this filter, and it would be an endless supply, actually. He had some food. And then one of his greatest moments of joy was when he worked out that he could swim out of the cockpit and get to the life raft and try to release it. Now, that was momentary joy. In fact, it was momentary joy 12 times because 12 times Tony swam out through his escape route, tried to release the life raft, and because we think of the pressure of the water on the life raft, he couldn't get it to release. Each time he came up with a a new light bulb moment idea of, I think I can get it if I do X, and he had this little surge of joy, little surge of peace, I can can release this life raft, and 12 times he failed. Can you relate to this in your life, that, that your life is turned upside down? And, and in the midst of your turned upside down life, there are, God still sends you little moments of peace and joy and little signs that he's with you. But at the same time, in the back of your mind, you're feeling tragedy. That's what was happening to Tony. As time went on, he became more and more convinced that he was going to die. And so even though there were these little moments of peace and joy and release, the overall feeling became a pall of depression and negativity and certainty that his life was over. And in his own mind, he began to arrange his affairs. Then all of a sudden, he heard a plane overhead. Someone had notified authorities that he was missing completely not of his own doing, someone had said, would you go search for Tony? And they did, and the plane actually spotted his boat turned upside down and dropped uh, an electronic beacon right next to it, and it began pinging. Tony, hoping that somehow the beacon could hear at least his pounding, began to pound on the upside down turned hull of the boat to let them know he was still alive. Within a day, an Australian ship had arrived. And they found Tony still alive. And they rescued him from the boat. And I want to read a a quote to you of what, what he thought in that moment when he realized that he was finally and fully rescued. Bullimore says, when I looked over at the, at the HMS Adelaide, the Australian ship, I, c- I could only get the tremendous ecstasy, not just joy, but ecstasy that I was looking at life. I was actually looking at a picture of what life was about. It was heaven, absolute heaven. I really, really never thought I would reach that far. I was starting to look back over my life and was starting to think, well, I've had a good life. I've done most of the things I wanted to do. I think if I was picking words to describe it, it would be a miracle, an absolute miracle to be rescued and saved. Reflecting on the experience later, Bullimore told reporters, now that I'm getting a bit old, there's one thing, and I don't mind telling the world, 
I've become more human. In these last six years, I'm a different person. I won't be so rude to people, not that I was, but I'll be much more of a gentleman, and equally, I'll listen to people a lot more. And a dear old friend of mine, David Matherson, said when he had a heart attack, and I've never had a heart attack, I've got a strong heart, I hope I still have, he said that when he got over it and opened his window in the bedroom and he peered out and smelt the fresh air after his surgery, and all the rest of it, he said, it was like being born all over again. Have you ever gone through an experience like that? Maybe in a small way or a big way where your life was turned upside down, seemed like horrible tragedy, you were rescued, and it seemed like I'd been granted a whole new life and found that it was truly transforming, not just the way that you thought and felt, but even the way you acted toward others. You see, we're going to, in today's final story from the book of Ruth, really recount, again, three stories of rebirth. There's the story of Ruth's rebirth, but there's also the story of Naomi's rebirth, and there's the story of Boaz's rebirth. All three of them had reached moments in their lives when they thought, I don't know how I'm going forward. Remember, Naomi, in the very first chapter of the book, had just lost her husband and her two sons and was left only with her two daughters-in-law. And then one of those two daughters-in-law decided to stay in Moab. Only one of them came back with her. And Ruth had no visible means of supporting herself and her daughter-in-law. I'll read a passage of what she was thinking at that moment in just a little bit to reinforce for you how Naomi was feeling. Ruth, on the other hand, had chosen to go with her mother-in-law, a foreign girl in a, in a country where Israelite boys were taught never marry a foreign girl because you don't know how they might lead you astray. How was she ever going to find uh, a life after being widowed at a very young age? And Boaz, very successful farmer, but Boaz was a little bit of an older gentleman who was probably beginning to think, I, I don't know if God's ever going to bring me a life partner. I mean, I've, I've made it this far in this little town of Bethlehem, two, three hundred people. I know all the girls here, and none of them seem very attracted to me so far. How am I ever going to find a life and a wife? And yet, throughout the story, God gave each of them, like he gave Tony, a rebirth and a new life. And it changed them, and it brought a deeper kind of joy into their lives. Now, I'm going to tell you that there are two kinds of joy. One is the joy that we experience, and all of us Christians experience this too, a joy that is fleeting and temporary. And typically that kind of joy is based on events and circumstances in our life. There's another kind of joy, though, a deeper joy, a more permanent joy, 
that's based on something else that I want to share with you today. And there are a couple of things that are really important. So I want you to get your pen. I want you to take your crosswalk notes. And there's no blank except for one of these. But there's, there are a couple of thoughts that I, I want to share with you. And you can just write keywords. So I want you to write the words created and creator down in a corner of your notes. Created and creator. What we're going to discover today is that when we find our joy in the created rather than the creator, that will be a temporary joy. That will be a fleeting joy. A second concept, something that we often talk about, and I want you to write these two words down. It's actually four words. Upper story and lower story. I want you to write that down. When we find our joy in the lower story, and by, by lower story, I mean the, the events and the circumstances and the things that are going on in your life right now, the things that you can see and feel and touch, the story of your life, the story that you would normally tell if someone would say to you, what's your story? That's the lower story. But what the Bible teaches us, and we've commented on this many times, we actually had a whole series about it called The Story at one time, is that there is equally and more importantly, alongside of our lower story and upper story, which is the story of God at work in our world for the purposes of redeeming in our, our world and bringing us to eternal life. And in that upper story, things are sometimes happening that we can't easily see or know, but God is constantly working to accomplish his purpose to bring us into heaven and to redeem his people. When we find our joy in the lower story, it will be temporary and fleeting. When we find our joy in the upper story, as we'll see, we can find a much more permanent and solid and steady joy. And the third thing we're going to learn today, and this one you can write down because I put it a blank for it, is that we need to learn more Hebrew. All of us need to learn more Hebrew. And the reason I got this idea is this week I was on, uh, my, on Bible.com and I found a d little devotional and the devotional was seven Hebrew words every Christian should know. And I thought, okay, well, I'm kind of, I taught Kessid the other last time I was here. Let's see what he thinks are the seven Hebrew words everyone should know. And so I began to read through it. I haven't read through the whole thing yet because I just started it this week. And I'm a slow reader. And... So I've gotten, do you know what the number one word of seven Hebrew words everyone should know? You guessed it. It's kesed, right? And I have to say, I feel Pastor Dan missed a big opportunity last week because he taught us about kinsman redeemer. Sorry, brother. Are you? But he didn't teach us the Hebrew word for kinsman redeemer. So I'm giving you that right now because I feel, whether it's in that devotion or not, I don't know. It's a, it's a Hebrew word we should all know. So here's your first fill-in. Do I know enough Hebrew? 
Am I confident I have a, here's your word for kinsman redeemer, a goel, a goel, who constantly displays his kesed to me. Goel means kinsman redeemer. If you recall from two weeks ago, kesed means loving kindness. Am I confident that I have a redeemer who is family to me who will constantly display his loving kindness to me. Here's the thing. What gave Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz the joy and the peace to carry them through their ups and downs and to bounce back. This is ultimately, brothers and sisters, about resilience. Why resilience? Because we're all going to go through moments where we lose our joy. We just are. But can we bounce back and recover our joy quickly? Can we find it as easily as possible? Life is filled with ups and downs, but we want to develop and understand the the secret, the truth of how to bounce back and find our joy again, even in the midst of immense tragedies like the ones that we're talking about today. Let's read. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, he's talking about Ruth, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So we left last week, Pastor Dan left us at the gate of Bethlehem with the elders of the city agreeing that Boaz would be the kinsman redeemer, would marry Ruth and inherit Malin and Killian's land. That's where we left it, and we're picking it up right there. These are the elders of the town at the gate talking to Boaz and saying, this, this young woman who's coming into your home, may she be as blessed as Rachel and Leah, our ancestors. They built up the family of Israel. They're, look at this. They're kind of looking at the upper story, aren't they? May you have standing in Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So they are wishing blessings. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. We're in the lower story now. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. So now the women come to Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, and say, you're blessed too. And there's a lot of reason for joy right now in your life, even when you just consider the lower story. Now, here's why I'm pointing that out. I think there's a ditch on either side of the road that Christians sometimes fall into. 
We know as Christians that we can't build enduring joy on the things of the lower story, on the events and circumstances of our life. So sometimes we go too far and we train ourselves to be joyless because I don't want to get joy from the things of this life. And and we almost consider it a badge of honor when we go through life stoically without feeling much emotion and just go, ah, the things of this life don't matter at all. Now imagine a heavenly father that not only loves to bless you in a big way, forgiveness, the power to lead a changed life, everlasting life, sending his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you, raising him back from the the dead, an amazing miracle to show you that one day you will be raised from your grave and given eternal life. That's the big stuff. It's the awesome upper story stuff. But your heavenly father, just like a lot of good dads, like to give little gifts along the way too. Now, if you're the dad and you're giving little gifts along the way and your child goes, huh, that's just little stuff. I'm only focused on the big stuff. And you live a joyless life because you've trained yourself not to think, hey, these little things are blessings from God too. That's the ditch on one side of the road that you don't want to be in. Enjoy the things that God gives you and the blessings God gives you right now. That's what these ladies are doing, right? They're saying, wow, look, Naomi, God's taking care of you. These are amazing blessings. Let's be happy. Let these things fill us with joy. See the joy in them. Find the joy in them. But don't build your joy on them. Can you write those two words? Write find or build. Really, one of the key distinctions that we have to learn is where we're going to find our joy and where we're going to build our joy. And what we're going to learn from today's story is that we can find our joy in all these little lower story things like these ladies are doing and pointing out to Naomi, but don't build our joy there. We build our joy, that long-lasting, firm, solid, steady joy in the upper story, in the creator rather than the created. All right? So don't fall into the ditch of living a joyless life. Don't fall into the ditch on the other side of building all your joy on temporary lower story stuff. Hey, I got a promotion. Hey, we had a baby. Hey, I'm getting married. Hey, I'm moving to a new place. Because if you build your joy there, you're always going to have joy that looks like this. You can find your joy there, but don't build your joy there. We'll talk more about that. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Paris. Now we're getting into the upper story. Okay, this is a transition. They've been talking lower story stuff. This is what happened to Ruth and Naomi. And then the author of this book of Ruth says, but remember how this connects to the line of the Savior, to the coming of Jesus Christ, the son of David. 
This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of, who is the father of Jesus, ultimately, down the line. So in all of this, notice the author says, lift your eyes from the lower story to the upper story. This is all part of God's plan to send you the kinsman redeemer and give you the capital C-H-E-S-E-D, Chesed, his amazing loving kindness. Write this down. Is there a joy that endures despite events in our lives? This is the question we're looking at. And and as we said, sometimes our life gets turned upside down. Like Tony's life got turned upside down literally in that yacht. Naomi's life had gotten turned upside down. She, She went to Moab looking for a better life, not a worse life. And then all of a sudden, like that, events and circumstances in her lower story overtook her in a big, bad way. Her husband dies. Her sons die. And in that culture and in that period, those were her physical means of support to live, to thrive. And it's all gone. And she must have huge doubts. Look at what she says. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Don't call me that. You ever felt that frustrated? You know, where where someone's saying, you know, God will take care of you. Christians have a good way of, you know, throwing out these little platitudes when you're hurting. You know, the, the, the book of Proverbs says, don't sing songs to people who are bitter. Because it just is irritating. Naomi hears her own name and she says, stop it. I don't even want to be called that anymore. Instead, call me Mara, which means bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back flat out empty. Why call me Naomi? Why? In fact, she's really saying, why call him God? Really? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune on me. Turn the page. See, what we learn from Naomi here is that joy that is built on circumstances of the lower story won't endure because, here's the reason why, the same things that happen to Christians, the same thing that happened to everyone happened to Christians. And the same thing that happened to Christians happened to everyone. So you're going to go through hardships in life because everyone goes through hardships in life. And everyone else is going to go through hardships in life because even you, who are a child of God and a Christian, go through hardships in life. This is just the common human experience, whether you're a believer or not a believer. It's going to happen. And so if we find joy in these circumstances, it's going to be tough. It reminds me of a story of one of the earlier, earliest climbers of Everest by the name of George Mallory. He began climbing Everest in the early 20s. And he was once asked, in 1922, he was asked, why do you do this? 
And his answer was very enlightening. He said, I know I'm not going to find any farmland I can farm up there. I'm not going to find any gold that I can bring down and make myself rich. And he goes on this litany of what I'm not going to find. But I can't help myself because as I climb in that moment, I just get so much joy from conquering this mountain. And that's what we as human beings are meant for. We're meant to experience joy. And this mountain gives me joy. On Mallory's third attempt, he died. They found his body in 1999. His body was face down, his hands extended, still clinging to Everest as if he was about to take his next step. In fact, part of his climbing rope was still wrapped around his waist more than 70 years after he had died. You see, the thing is, if we build our joy on the lower story, on events, sometimes we're going to take risks that, at the end of the day, not only rob us of our joy, they rob us of our lives. We're going to attempt to do things that even if they don't take our physical lives from us, will take our spiritual lives from us. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, couldn't keep his eyes off of women. And so he kept marrying one woman after another after another. And you can bet that each time he married a beautiful girl, an intelligent girl, a girl that just amazed him, he got a little jolt of joy. But then pretty soon that faded and he was on to the next one. And ultimately, the Bible says at the end of his life, it began to lead him astray. In this country right now, we have a horrible, horrible problem with heroin. And it's affecting everything. It's affecting our own community right here and our city. Do you know why people get addicted to heroin? For just a moment it brings them a little bit of joy. There's, a, there's an interesting book written by a Christian author, Dr. Earl Henslin. This is your brain on joy. I, I recommend it. It's just an interesting read. But he points out that, that what happens is there are brain chemicals that flow even when we're not using other chemicals like heroin. But certain things that we do, I'm sure Mallory got it when he was climbing Everest, that, that start chemicals flowing in our brain, and our brain gets addicted to having those chemicals. And that's why once we encounter an event or a circumstance or something that makes us feel just a little bit of joy, we have a strong brain compulsion to keep coming back to that thing and build our joy there. But then the joy doesn't last very long. And it goes away and we find ourselves coming back again and again trying to find that joy, but always only having fleeting joy. Write this down, will you, on the top of page two. Joy that depends on circumstances. You could write events, promotions. In this story, 
There's a wedding, and there's a baby, and it brings joy. And we can be happy, but don't build happiness there. Joy that depends on circumstances won't endure. This is lower story stuff. Now, what happens and can happen is that we build our joy on something else that's just as dangerous as building it on circumstances. We build our joy on the created rather than the creator. It would have been tempting and easy for Boaz to begin to worship this girl, Ruth. Or Ruth to worship this man who picked her out and married her when she thought she had no choices there in Israel because she was a Moabite. It would have been easy for Naomi cradling that little baby, that created little baby, who was her kinsman redeemer, who would assure her of a future and of being taken care of, it would have been easy for her to worship that little baby. She could have even taken the words of those who were celebrating with her to say, that's what you should do. And we're tempted to do the same thing at times, aren't we? To, to find a person and hang all that weight and all that expectation on them, a created person, and, and think, if I am married, I know who I am. If I have a child, I, I know what my destiny is. And, and you begin to put all this identity, destiny, purpose, possibility, and, and you hang that on something created, someone created. A pastor friend of mine grew up, and at 12 years old, he and his family went on a family vacation. On the way back, they drove all the way across country. On the way back, his mom, and his mom doted on him. She did not have him until she was 39 years old. She, she, she would cook for him whatever he asked for. She always cleaned his room for him. She washed all his clothes. Like, she took care of this boy. On the way home from this back and forth across the country, she began to complain of stomach pains. They went to the doctor. And the doctor said, oh, it's probably just pancreatitis or something like that. They did a little checking. They decided on surgery. I didn't think much of it. In fact, this 12-year-old boy who ultimately became a pastor went to school that day, thinking that he would come home and find everything's great. Instead, he came home at the end of the school day, and there were a bunch of his family gathered in the living room, and there was a lot of crying going on. His dad came up to him and he said, son, I don't, I don't know how to tell you this, but when the surgeon opened up mom today to take out her pancreas, they found massive amounts of cancer inside of her. Mom's probably not going to be with us at Christmas. That's what the doctor told me. This was in August. Now, can you imagine? This boy idolized his mom. And not just because of how he, she spoiled him and took care of him, but also because she was the primary spiritual influence in his life. She, she, he would often say, 
I was, I was on drugs when I was a kid because my mom constantly drugged me to church on Sunday morning, <laughs> drugged me to church on Sunday evening again, drugged me to church whenever there was a rumor the church might be open for some reason. And at 12 years old, he had just received the news that his mom was no longer going to be there. Do you see what we're saying here? The created is always temporary. And, and even though it's something good, why should a boy not love his mom and lean on his mom? We should all have people that we love and lean on. But don't take a good thing and make it an ultimate thing and give it the weight that only God, the creator, can bear. Let's write this down. Joy that leans on idols won't endure. These are created things. Good things that become ultimate things ultimately disappoint. This is why, for example, in 1 John 5.21, the Apostle John says, Dear children, keep yourself from idols because idols crumble. And then we're left without any joy left. This is even why, and I'm not going to go through it, I just put it in there because I want you to see something. Sometimes people come across this section in 1 Corinthians 7 about marriage, and they're like, why is Paul so down on marriage? Paul's not down on marriage. In fact, he even says, it's good for a man to marry in certain circumstances, but Paul is also aware that a marriage partner can become an idol. And that's what he's talking about here. You can read it for yourself. He doesn't use that language, but he's saying, if you're going to get married, be careful that you don't elevate and hang all this expectation and weight on a spouse because they are going to fail you. Guys, your wife is not going to always do everything exactly the way you hope she will. Sorry to tell you. And ladies... You hear me, right? And besides which, we're all just temporary. And we can die because the wages of sin is death. Put that weight on the creator, not the created. Look to the upper story rather than the lower story. If you lean your joy on idols, it won't endure. You see, the work of the Bible... The work of this book, Ruth, is it's as if you're in a village in Switzerland and, and you're walking down the main street and there are all these cute little shops and, and you can see all the Swiss crafts and the Swiss watches and you stop in front of the window and you, and you look at them all and you go, oh my goodness, that is so beautiful. Guys go, that watch is amazing. Ladies go, those crafts are incredible. Or maybe it's the other way around. The job of the Bible is to say it's awesome to look at those things in the window. But every now and then, remember, you're in Switzerland. Look up. See those mountains over there? Look at that sky. Look at that green grass. Look at the snow and the shadows clinging to the side of those mountains. Look up to your creator. Look up to the upper story where God is working everything for your good, your eternal good. 
making sure that your eyes are directed to the cross and the empty tomb for your eternal salvation. This, Paul says, is the secret of finding steady, lasting joy. Take a look at these last two passages. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, which, by the way, Paul is writing from a prison cell. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, we could say today, whether experiencing tragedy or victory, I can do all this through him, through Jesus, through the one who died on the cross for me and rose again. He gives me strength. I always remember this secret. When I find the eyes of my faith down here looking at the window and all the beautiful things in the lower story and the created things, God reminds me, the Spirit reminds me, look up, see the mountains, see God's love for you, see God's chesed, his loving faithfulness, his loving kindness, see God as your goel, your kinsman redeemer, and know that he is walking with you every day of your life. And when you find joy, find joy here. Luke 10, 20. Therefore, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. The, the disciples were going out, they were preaching, evil spirits were submitting to them, and Jesus says, that's lower story stuff. But rejoice that in the upper story, your names are already written in heaven. Write this down. You want the secret to enduring joy, steady joy, always joy? Well, that comes from knowing I have a guardian redeemer, a goel, who loves nothing more than every day to display his loving kindness to me. I want you to say this as the ladies said this to Ruth. God has not left me without a kinsman redeemer. That enduring truth is my enduring joy. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you so much that you have sent all of us in this room, in fact, the entire world, a goel, a kinsman redeemer. One who died on the cross so that he could create a new upper story, a new destiny for me that my name would be written in heaven, that the names of all these people gathered in here would be written in heaven. Lord, help us to find our joy in you, the creator, the redeemer, in your loving kindness and in the upper story. And help us learn the secret, as Paul did, of turning our eyes from the windows of the daily events of our lives to the mountains and the skies of the upper story where you are writing even now our names in heaven. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. 
Here's the key distinction from today's message. Find your joy in many things. God, God is blessing us all every day with the little things of this life. Find joy in them. Be, be happy with all the things that God has given you, but don't build your joy there. Build your joy not on the created, but on the creator. Build your joy on the fact that there's an upper story that God is telling and writing for you to lead you to have your name written in heaven. That's where to build your joy. Build it on the fact that in the upper story, God sent you a kinsman redeemer who shows you every day and for eternity his loving kindness. He will never leave you. Let me send you out into the week with these beautiful words. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great week in the Lord. We'll see you back next Sunday for Father's Day.